visit Cape and Cowell Comics at 1601 Clay Street in downtown Oakland, California, open every day, or online at capeandcowlcomics.com. Welcome to the Cape and Cowell Comics Podcast, where we talk comics and comics culture. I am Henry Liu, and today I am joined by two very special guests. We have, to my left, Bruce Simon, and we also have Mark Badger, both from the Jack Kirby Museum. How are you doing, gentlemen? We're doing great today. Just fine. Thanks so much for coming in. And uh, yeah, today we're going to really dive into Jack Kirby and all the greatness that is Jack Kirby. Uh, But before we we really uh, deep dive, uh, let's get to know you guys a little bit. So, uh, yeah, you want to start, Mark, just a little bit about yourself and a little bit about the Jack Kirby Museum. Um, Well, the Jack Kirby Museum goes back to the 80s when I met a guy named Rand Hopp in the DC's New Talent Showcase. And he was um, looking to be an inker and I was just looking to be an artist. And we met there. We ended up in Hoboken, New Jersey, in the very famous, if you're into alternative music, bar Maxwell's, drinking and talking about Jack Kirby. And that conversation then proceeded for, um, Rand ended up in banking and then in museum management, and um, I ended up breaking into comics and going through comics. And that conversation about Jack eventually got to the point where Rand wanted to start a a museum to represent Jack's name and Mm -hmm. keep it out there and alive and um, collect scans of all the original artwork and have some place to store all the Xeroxes that they Mm -hmm. had of the work. So it became an archive and then a place for people to study. So, I mean, and it really... I mean, it didn't really grow out of those conversations. Those were just what we were talking about all the time. And yeah. we still, we get together, we now we drink, and we talk about Jack Kirby still. I mean, he's unfortunately yeah. on the East Coast, and I'm on the West Coast now. Got but, it. So that's my story. Great. All right. I'm Bruce Simon, and I, um, I am an underground cartoonist. Uh, I grew up in Los Angeles, uh, and... Uh, was involved with the comic book scene there. I met Jack Kirby in 1969, not long after he moved out from New York to the West Coast, and uh, became friends with he and Roz, his wife, and their family. And uh, it was through uh, my working at the Marvel fan club out there. It was called Marvel Mania International. Uh, It's a famous, it's a, it's a, famous uh, successor to the Mary Marvel Marching Society fan club that Marvel <laughs> itself started okay. in the mid-60s, but this was after that one petered out. Uh, this one was started by an entrepreneur on the West Coast uh, who proceeded to uh, to rip off Marvel, Jack Kirby, everybody who sent in dollars and quarters and nickels and dimes for mm. the various things they sent there, as we found out. Yeah. And uh, eventually, one weekend, 
cleaned out the office in his house and left like a thief in the night. Oh, wow. And uh, it was never seen again. But how I met Jack was I was working in the office, and Jack had done tons of original artwork for Marvel Mania, giant, beautiful posters mm-hmm. that he had penciled and inked of the characters. And they were taped and uh, thumbtacked to the wall. And this guy... In a, in a three-piece suit and an overcoat, and his wife came in, and I knew it was Jack Kirby, mm-hmm. and he said, you work here? Uh-huh. I go, yes, I do. He says, son, would you mind taking all those things off the wall? They're <laughs> mine, and they were never paid for. I said, yes, <laughs> sir, Mr. Kirby, and wow. uh, got them all down for him, and, and uh, then we got to talking after that and became good friends. So oh, wow. uh, I was smoking a cigar. He had a cigar. He was not smoking. He okay. had it in his hands. Wow. That's but, but incredible. But let me say just one more thing about yeah. the museum. Sure. The museum is at Kirby, www.kirbymuseum.org. It's mm-hmm. an online archive of thousands of pages of Jack's work, which you can go look at. There's mm-hmm. uh, there are scans of Xerox uh Penciled pages before they mm. were inked because Jack used to keep a record of them, so he so he could pay so he could kind of not forget what he had, what the story had, uh, all the continuity that had happened before, and thousands of pages of inked artwork. So it's it's probably the largest repository of Kirby art anywhere. Uh, the Kirby wow. Museum raises money. Uh, to support those efforts, this traveling around to different conventions and scanning the artwork of the people mm-hmm. who were selling it there. And uh, also, uh, 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 there are pop-up shows. There was a pop-up mm-hmm. show in the Lower East Side of New York uh, in 2015, uh, where Jack grew up. So okay. that was an event. And uh, so it's to support events like that and to keep Jack's name in the, in the public eye. Um, he he doesn't get the credit that he deserves, and yeah. uh, we just like to make sure it's they're, not they're, forgotten. Their most recent publication with IDW has been um, Pencils and Inks, and it's the first issues of Commandy, Demon, and OMAC, both the Xerox pencils on the left-hand side and on the right-hand side a shot of the black and white artwork and so you can compare so you can compare everything that what Royer did and how yeah what got changed great and just to be clear the Jack Kirby Museum isn't a permanent location right it's more there's pop-ups there's an online presence and there's a convention presence exactly. as well right yeah, Mark okay. and I go to different conventions. We have slideshows, and we have talks, and sometimes we have other people who work with Jack join us at the at the table, and I mean at the panel, mm-hmm. and you know tell stories about Jack. We're hoping to be at the Silicon Valley Comic Con next month. We did a we did a con last Sunday in Concord, and we do about five or six shows a, a year. Okay, great. That's awesome. So, um, all right. So before we really dive in, I thought we'd just kind of take a step back, provide some context. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you're obviously a comics fan and you better damn, well, you know, you, you better, you better know who Jack Kirby is, right? But, you know, for those who may not be super familiar, just a little bit of, of background. He's a legendary creator. And just to mention a few, I mean, it take a long time to list out all of his amazing 
comic book character creations, but just to name a few, the Fantastic Four, Doctor Doom, the X-Men, the Hulk, Thor, Captain America, Black Panther, Silver Surfer. You could go on for hours. Yeah, you could go on and on. Loki. Okay, and I mean, just, that's just to name a few, really. Absolutely. And it's it's just amazing uh, the 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 character creation and we can we can get into his his the genius of his artwork but just the character creation alone is is mind-blowing um yeah why don't we we talk about his career his his amazing career um let's get into that a bit well he was born in 1917 because it's 100 years the anniversary of his birth right now um so he grew up on the lower east side of new york when it was ghetto um as in it was mostly Jewish immigrants at oh, that point. Oh, it was everybody. I mean, I think Jewish, it, Italian. Uh, uh, my gosh. Well, it wasn't Latino, black ghetto. It was no, no. Well, we're talking about we're talking about what, uh, Eastern European ghetto. This is, mm. Yeah, this is Eastern European. Yeah. The first one wave of immigration into America. Right. Um, and it was street gang rife. Uh, because Jack was in a gang and he fought all the time, so he was a very temptuous young lad. He was, he was, a, he was a short little guy, yeah. and uh, he was uh, like a little fire plug. Okay, and he's had you know he never let anybody get anything over on him. He was just a tough guy, but a heart you know, but a very probably one of the most nicest guys you'd ever want to meet. Mm. But you had to be tough to grow up then, and because you had to fight every day. Right. And he was the son of immigrants. Uh, you know, his dad was a tailor. Her mom, you know, his mom was a was a housewife. Uh, his dad worked in a in a uh, garment factory doing piecework. And Jack's first job was at the Max Fleischer Animation Studios in New York, and uh, where they produced the Popeye cartoons, the Bitty Boop cartoons. And he got a job at the very bottom of the ladder, a, 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 a job called the In Betweener, mm-hmm. who would who would take between the main actions the animators would lay out, the in-betweener would do the drawings of all the actions between, you know, the A and B. For example, if you were lifting your arm, you'd have a picture of the arm down, and then you'd have a picture of the arm up. You'd have to do, like, 12 drawings of the arm going. Very, very uh, uh, precise work, Mm -hmm. and not super creative, and he didn't last there very long. And he ended up he worked for us. Going into comics after he, he, that pretty He fast, worked for us. Right? Yeah, he got It was into, before he was 18. Yes. And then he, he worked for a small newspaper syndicate called the Lincoln Newspaper Syndicate that would supply packages of material to small newspapers who couldn't afford it. If you couldn't afford Popeye, you know, to get the strip, well, they had a rip-off strip that Jack drew called Socko the Sea Dog. <laughs> and if, if you wanted a... Uh, if you couldn't afford uh, the Lone Ranger, well, they had the Lone Rider, uh-huh. you know. And which is, <laughs> so there are all these derivative ripoff strips. And he he drew like five or six daily strips. I mean, he was a young guy. He just did tremendous amounts of, of work. and uh, But uh, the syndicate went nowhere. And it, and it is right around the time that comic books started using original work as opposed to just the reprints of... The newspaper funnies that they were for the first five or six years of their mm-hmm. existence. Okay. So, and that was perfect for a guy like Jack. Well, so there was, um, 
and they and opposed to everybody's almost all freelance now mm-hmm. um, in the early days they set up studios to crank out lots and lots of work and there were people doing it so Jack worked for did he was working for Will Eisner Jack's he, he, first job he worked for Eisner and Iger uh, they were packagers of comic book stories. They would sell to the various, they would sell to Fiction House publishers, to Martin Goodman's Timely, lots of different publishers. Uh, they were, and, and you know that. Yes. Yes, okay, you're looking at me like that. <laughs> and, uh, and also Victor Fox. So when did he hook up with Joe Simon? At Fox. At Fox. At Fox. And uh, that's when they created Cap. They went off on their own they, as packages, Well, right? they, they did... Uh, they, first they created, before they went to Cap, they created Blue Bolt uh, for Curtis Publications. And who was that? Do you know Blue Bolt? Yeah, sure. Vaguely. You, vaguely. <laughs> he was a hero. They only did like a couple of stories. He, mm. he lasted actually all the way through the 40s, not with Jack. Uh, but uh, uh, they, left, they left the packaging company and they started working for Timely Comics, which eventually became Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. And they created Captain America there. And uh, it was a it was a tremendous million selling hit right away. Issue right one, right away, a big deal. Yeah, because uh, you know it, it came out in 1941, right when right before World War One started. The, the war in Europe had been going on for two years already. Mm-hmm. So that first cover of punching a Nazi, punching yeah, Hitler, got a punching Nazi Hitler. Like, but yeah. I got the real. It's, it's sort of a classic cover that seems to be coming back into uh, popularity. Oh, for sure, yeah, you yeah. Know. But interesting enough, since we were not in the war, uh, Simon and Kirby were getting death threat phone calls from German American Bund members in oh, New wow. York who who supported Hitler. Uh, and they would, you know, they would threaten him and say, you can't, you know, treat Hitler. You come on down and we'll beat you up. But Jack would say, I'll meet you down there. I'll be right down there. <laughs> I love and it. And he would run down and nobody would be there, of course, because they're... That's there. There's an Eisner used to tell a story about they were at the studio and um, some mafia guys came in to get their protection money. And you're like, kind of going, wow, comics, protection money. Who knew? Um, but... Jack was the guy who would go, oh, I'll take care of it. And he'd go out there and deal with them and run them off. So he, Eisner didn't have to pay the protection money. Yeah. I mean, you know? Jack never let anybody. Well, that's not true, actually. Uh, uh, because eventually in the story of his life that he did get one put over on him. Oh, by did. the publishers. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, think physically, he never got put right. over right. right. on Yeah, he was, he was, he was not a physical uh, coward. He would fight anyone. Got so. it. And speaking of World War II and Captain America, Jack Kirby did serve in the military, right? And he did fight in the war after he created Cap, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, almost everybody got drafted. I mean, it's something, you know, I mean, Joe DiMaggio, like the superstar baseball player, got yeah. drafted. I mean, everybody got drafted for World War II. Right. Unless and you it were wasn't physically or mentally you know, not capable of doing it, you mm-hmm. went. It was yeah. it oh. was considered important, right? And right. Joe Simon went. Uh, Joe Simon uh, worked for the Office of War Information, and but Jack became an infantryman. Hmm. He was an on the ground slogging guy uh, who slogged through three years the Battle of the Bulge and this and that. He was an artist, and, and they knew he was an artist, so they would send him ahead as of the uh, troops 
to do maps and drawings of where the Germans were. Very dangerous work. Mm. And, uh, you know, he almost, uh, he had lots of close calls. And at one point, during the Battle of the Bulge, which was an ongoing campaign during the winter, uh, he he was almost frozen stiff, almost lost both his feet to frostbite, mm-hmm. and was hospitalized for months. Wow. So, I mean, all the people who knew Jack in the 60s and 70s, everybody talks about Jack telling war stories. He kept telling war stories mm. for the rest of his it life. Was the, I think it was the seminal, I mean, I really think that was the central event of his life. Mm. I think that's one of the things that, that informed his worldview on, on people. It, uh, I think it informed, and, and on power and fighting and all of that. Yeah. I mean, it really, if you read Jack's, I think Jack's war stories, is a comic book war stories like uh, Sergeant Fury and the Losers and and Foxhole. Thing. I think that's a, you, if you read those, you're reading the closest thing to uh, actually reading autobiographical material mm-hmm. from Jack. Interesting. Yeah, great. So yeah, moving on. Post war, um, we we can't. We, we, we I think we got to cover the uh, the Silver Age of comics. And, you know, that's, I gave a list of his creations. A, a, a large majority of those crea- uh, creations were created during uh, the, the 60s at Marvel. Yes. Um, let's, let's talk about that a, li- a little. So he, um, yeah, w- where did, like, so Fantastic Four, Thor, and Black Panther, and et cetera, et cetera, where did this all come from? Uh the situation of the of the story of the comics, you have to go back a little bit, and I won't go all the way back to uh, the end of World War II. But uh, Simon and Kirby were very successful when they came back, and they created the love, the romance comic, and uh, the horror—you know, not the horror comic, but the supernatural comic. But when the Comics Code came in in 1955, comics just about died as a as mm. a uh, as a business. Uh, they used to sell, you know, a hundred million copies of comics a month, and it was soon half that. Tons of publishers went out of business. Simon and Kirby had to split up because there was not enough work for mm-hmm. both of them anymore. And they both, you know, uh, Jack just went from publisher to publisher, doing little things here and there. Yeah. Uh, one of the uh, Atlas. Which, which was the outgrowth of Timeline was mm-hmm. would eventually become Marvel had lost their distributor, and and went to uh, the distributor that also distributed DC Comics, which would only let them print eight comics a month, and they said that's how we'll distribute it for you. And this is a mm-hmm. company that did forty or fifty titles a month usually, so it was a great cutback. They just about went out of business, wow. and. Uh, and, but Jack said, you know, I'll come in here, I'll give you comics that sell, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll build this business up. Yeah. And uh, he did war comics and western comics and monster comics. But in the early 60s, uh, he came up with the Fantastic Four. Well, which was what? <laughs> uh, well, which was kind of an outgrowth of an earlier group he had, he had created for DC Comics called okay, the Challengers of the Unknown. I, yeah. I knew you were going to. That's why that <laughs> it, 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 it was similar. Um, but I think maybe we should talk a little about the relationship between Stanley and Jack Kirby here at the beginning. Sure. So Stan, Stan was Martin Goodman was the publisher. Stan was 
nephew. A nephew. And so he had sort of stayed working at Marvel, Timely slash Marvel slash Atlas, all the way from the 40s all the way through it. So he was the guy handing out the work and doing the assignments and, quote, writing all the books. And eight books of stories to come up with, Eight books isn't a lot of books, but eight stories a month is a lot of stories. A lot of these books had, would have like three or four stories in them. They would have so, five or six pages. So you're talking about, oh my God. <laughs> but So Stan yeah. eventually got to the point where he said, I'm going to start giving people plots. And this mm -hmm. was called the Marvel style. And where he would give you, say, oh, give me a story about, you know, a big dragon. And you come back with same thing, thing, boom. Or you mm -hmm. give me a story where some guys go up into space. It was actually... Um, Justice League with Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, wasn't it done first before Fantastic Four? That's an apocryphal story. That's an apocryphal story? That, that was the inspiration to make some That's an apocryphal story. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, so, that, I mean, no. that's, yeah. It's possible, but not. Oh, the, the, the story that how it happened is that uh, Martin Goodman, the publisher of uh, Timely Atlas Marvel Comics, was out golfing with Erwin uh, uh, Donafeld, who's like the head guy at DZ Comics, and, and Donafeld was telling him, oh, the Justice League of America comic, which is my new comic, is selling so terrifically. Uh -huh. It's huge, it's huge. <laughs> and uh, which inspired Martin Goodman to go back to Stanley and say, get me a group of superheroes, you know, because that, that's selling really well. Uh, I actually just recently read a story, uh, interview with Donafeld that said that never happened. Oh, really? Okay. So, so <laughs> that's the story we've been, but it, it, that didn't happen. So, but uh, they looked at each other's. I mean, uh, uh, you could see what the press runs were because they all had the same distributors. So, mm. you know, they knew what was going on. I think that was just a nice way of uh, a colorful way colorful, of setting it up. Colorful story. Well, anyway, so Jack came up with the the basic. I mean, who knows how much Stan came up with and how much Jack came up with, because we don't ever get to see Stan's plots. Yeah. On the other hand, we get to see all of Jack's pencils with all the story notes. Yeah. Um, so the plot, the plot would have been discussed at whatever level discussed was, and Jack would go home and draw this whole story out in pencils, and then the script would be written from those pencils, and then the inking and all the production work right. would be done. So Jack was... At least 50% of the, the creative okay. ideas in there, <laughs> if not more. Okay. And Stan wrote very snappy, fun dialogue. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and not, you know, I, I would never take anything away from Stan because he actually created the fun and family atmosphere of early Marvel comics where, you know, it's like the bullpen gang and, you know, and everybody had a nickname and they all liked each other and, and you're part of us. And, you know, uh, it made it a very, lots of, you know, lots of making you feel like you're, you're part of something. He and was, and yeah. that was, that's a big deal. That is, sure. that is, I, I will admit that is just as much of a contribution to the uh, success of Marvel comics in the 60s. Uh, because that feeling eventually faded away. But they needed it at the beginning as Jack's work. I think it was the synthesis of both those things that made it take off like a cultural rocket. Because mm -hmm. it wasn't long before uh, Stanley was was visiting colleges and doing college tours and talks uh, promoting Marvel Comics because all of a sudden like college students and adults were reading comics again, yeah. uh, which is a big deal. 
I think one of the things that um, we don't have any sense of with comics now because comics are seen as this corporate event where you go out on retreats and you plot your brand and you lay out your storylines for the year and everything. I think one of the things that made that take off was Jack was kind of given freedom to go do stuff. Mm -hmm. And that just that creative, giving an artist freedom to go home and sit and draw a story He's gonna. You're gonna get more excitement out of. You're gonna get closer to what is coming out of that guy's gut than you'll ever get out of doing a meeting where you plot out the brand with no matter how brilliant your writers right. are. Right. So, mm-hmm. so back then, comics were built from the ground up, and and with a creative artist put in that input. Now, comics are created from the top down. Mm. And, and what Mark is saying is that the, the publishers and the editors and the writers will all get together and, 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 and figure out the overarching story. And it yeah. all came down from there. It call, and that all comes from like genre uh, prose book publishing, and yeah. which is where the new people who are in charge do that, and which is totally at odds with the way that, that the great Marvel comics were created. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because... I, I saw somebody mentioning something about something I did in the 90s with Martian Manhunter, and they said, they hired Mark Badger and Dematis to rewrite the brand of Martian Manhunter. God, you know, we went out and ate pastrami sandwiches and talked about the story. Yeah. We didn't really worry about the brand the or brand. anything. <laughs> right. we, were, we were screwing around and having fun doing stories, and that was the tail end of that all getting you know, eventually wiped out and destroyed in the mm-hmm. mainstream superhero comics. And I think, to me, when I went into comics, there's a, I think it's a backup story in the Fantastic Four where Jack and Stan plotted a story together and they're dressing up in armor and their heads are flaming on and it's just like a Oh, they're force. just having fun... You know, jumping up on the table and fighting with each other, and, saying, and, and then Doctor Doom will do this, and then mm-hmm. he'll do that, and it's and, which was probably a bunch of baloney, but it makes mm-hmm. for a very fun comic story. And, and that's <laughs> what I thought I was getting into when I was going to do mm-hmm. comics. Oh, so that's know. what I always wanted my comics. To oh, you like. naive little. <laughs> I was, I was young and naive. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> hey, you know, going back to the the whole creator credit question, I mean. You guys kind of alluded to it earlier, how it's it's kind of unquantifiable how much percentage did Stan Lee had, had, have to do with a certain character and how much percentage Jack Kirby did. Uh, but would you say that you did mention how the dialogue really was Stan's. Now, would you say the, the look and feel of the characters, the character design, was that pretty much all Jack Kirby? I, I would say yes, but he could be overruled and vetoed. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, the Black Panther originally, uh, the Black Panther character has, you cannot see the character's face. Mm-hmm. And Jack created him with a Batman-like half face where you saw his, oh, his yeah. nose and mouth. Yeah. Uh, and I think because they thought that he resembled Batman too much, uh, they made him go back and, and cover his face. And conversely, when Steve Ditko created Spider-Man, Stan wanted to give him a half face. <laughs> he didn't want the character's face to be type, totally obscured. And Steve Ditko insisted that that he... So it's... It, it's 
it's you never know. But but they did they had overruling on uh, costume design. But I, I I think generally, I mean, Jack's work. I mean, his artwork was the template for Marvel Comics, and it was oh, yeah. you know from when Starenko first started, they had him finish a couple of Agents of Shield with yeah. Nick Fury over Jack's layouts just mm-hmm. so he would understand what Jack was doing. And there was a constant litany of draw it like Jack, think about Jack, up until um, in the 80s, Jim Shooter was the head of Marvel. And Jim Shooter had the crappiest issue of comics Jack ever drew. It was like a Tales of Suspense, or not Tales of Suspense, whatever the Human Torch was in. A strange Tales. Strange Tales where he mm-hmm. met a fake Captain America. It was like a 12-page story. And mm-hmm. Shooter does a brought in every new artist and walked every new artist through that story panel by panel by panel explaining this is how you tell cast stories in comics. So, I mean, Jack's kind of integral to the thinking and the the approach to Marvel up until probably somewhere post-image kind of work. Yeah, and right. Right. Um, so the new kids don't know who he is. But, you know. <laughs> no, the new kids do because luckily uh, m- most of his really important work is back in print. That's yeah. Uh, true. So there's no excuse not to. From DC, DC does all of his uh, fourth world material and mm-hmm. re- and and reprinted most of his golden oh, age and yeah. silver age material. Yeah. And Marvel has the same. Yeah, uh, a lot of people might not realize Jack Kirby worked. At DC quite a bit as well and he created the new gods uh, in particular the character of Darkseid that is a Jack Kirby creation so he's not just a hundred percent a Marvel guy uh, actually if you look at the timeline of his life he, he worked as as long for DC as he did for Marvel if you really, really? Know, yes, wow. if you look, go huh. back and count the years. Yeah, it, it it's just about equal. Oh wow! I mean, there. I mean, there really was. Um, Fantastic Four was getting close to issue a hundred, and it was really at some point Jack wanted credit for writing and creating storylines, yeah. and just sort of felt um, Stan was missing the point of what he was doing, and in there there was that decision to go to DC. And DC was sort of like, we're going to get Jack to come over and create stuff for us. And we'll, you know, because Marvel had all the the pop and the excitement at that time. And DC was And had kinda, passed DC Comics and sales, which was so, like, and, you know, that's like, that's really like top, uh, knocking the top guy off the mountain. Mm-hmm. And, there's, and there's a really interesting conflict there because DC was run by a guy named Carmen Infantino, who is an artist, is a very good artist. Um, but DC's model for what was good comics is a guy named Alex Toth, who is mm-hmm. a design-oriented, very realistic, very tight guy. And Jack's work is not realistic. It's all expressionism. or Right. At DC, yeah. in their production, they had, they had decided amongst themselves that the secret of Marvel's success in the 60s was bad art. They said, look at this art. It's <laughs> and because these people did not draw like DC Comics, and and that that was their idea of what good comics were. But they also they wanted to bring Marvel down, so they brought Jack Kirby over, and 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 it was a return to 
to uh, DC from Jack because he had worked there up until about 1958 or mm-hmm. nine, um, and and they gave him all. They said you know create this these books that interlocked and had a big story, uh, one big story, and a he graphic had graphic novel. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was an ongoing story that carried through four different books, which was like a big deal to try and create that from scratch because the Marvel Universe grew over a number of years. It didn't just all happen at yeah. once. It grew organically, and Jack was trying to create, like, uh, create a whole universe, you know, like, from square one. Very mm-hmm. difficult. Yeah. So there were tons of ideas, tons of concepts, tons of things going every which way. And uh, it really was. He, he created so much stuff at one time. I think it may have confused and alienated, you know, uh, some some people who just couldn't follow what he was yeah. doing. Yeah. Uh, they did. The books did not last long. They say they did not sell well. I don't think that's so, but uh, that's controversial. Sure. Uh, he, he went on to create a number of other books for uh, DC, but he had a five-year contract with them, and when it was done, they were both unhappy with each other, and Jack went back to the only other place that could offer him a similar deal, and that he went back to Marvel. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. he was, and he came back and he created The Eternals and Devil Dinosaur, Machine Man... He did an adaptation of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. All good, solid work. Uh, the general feeling from the fans was like uh, they were thinking, you know, Jack was not as current and as cool, cool <laughs> as the other as the, ah. as the you know the the other things that are going on at Marvel like the cosmic comics of Jim Starlin mm. and the political the stuff of Steve Engelhardt right mm. at the event yeah so uh, which none of that could have existed without the without the foundation that Jack had created so yeah. it was kind of ironic mm-hmm. uh, Jack spent another four years at Marvel it wasn't five and he had had enough. He retired from comics. He went to work in animation, creating and designing characters for Hanna-Barbera and Ruby Spears Productions and coming up with ideas for uh, animated series and designing characters for ongoing series. And uh, and he was done with comics until uh, the Shanus Brothers in San Diego uh, started up a, a company called Pacific Comics, which with a radical idea that the that the creators of the comics would be the owners of the comics. Mm, yeah. And they went to Jack Kirby and they said, "Would you create? Uh, would you create comics from us? And you write them and you'll own them." And and he said, "I've been waiting for this all my life, boys." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he created uh, Captain Victory. And the Galactic Rangers for them, mm-hmm. and, and Silver, Silver Star, Star. and yeah. uh, you know that was his last his last great uh, body of work. Mm. Yeah, an amazing legendary career. And one thing I wanted to highlight too is you know we've talked quite a bit about Jack Kirby the creator, but to me, what really stands out the most is Jack Kirby the artist. And you look through this long-storied career, and his art has always been phenomenal. But there, there seems to have been a, a bit of an evolution to it, right? It, it was Jack Kirby drawing Captain America in the '40s. 
was much different than him drawing Captain America in the 70s, right? And in the 60s and just, yeah, I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on the evolution of his artwork. I Well, I think in the, the 40s, everybody was kind of starting with Milton Kniff and Noel Sickles' um, adventure comics. And newspaper that, comics. Newspaper comics. That was the high point and the art that people were trying for. So that kind of black and white drawing, looking at the shaded light sources. And then Jack brought in some of that... Um, to me, one of the really interesting things is the level of cartooniness and funniness in Jack's work, that there's always this level of a humor underlying his work in a way a lot of guys don't get. Um, and and Jack had that, which combined with his like sense of action and just that I'm the street kid fighting was right. all that that Captain that America element of fighting is always there in yeah. the 40s. And the characters were were breaking out of the panels, yeah, then, which had not been done before. You know, you hit people and they were out of the panel. <laughs> Their legs were going out of the panel. Heads were flying out of the panel. The the arm being pulled back to hit the guy. They he he broke the panel Those. and and they were doing and he was doing double page spreads hmm. in Captain America comics yeah. in 1941. Yeah, uh, it's, it's yeah, and and I think over through the 50s you can see Jack kind of master drawing. Partially it was he was doing romance comics and he was doing the horror comics, which demand sort of a different kind of drawing approach than superheroes. You don't have the completely wild action of superheroes and the blowing apart the pages. That stuff's always there. Um, and, and I think he's more than almost any other artist in comics. While most comics artists want to make cool pictures, and think, I'm going to do this cool drawing, I'm going to do this cool Jack. I think Jack was really driven by telling stories. That was the yeah. dominant act of doing them. So after the 50s, when he got into the Marvel thing, he sort of took the, the realism, you know, and, and it was sort of, there's kind of the boring period, the start of the Fantastic Four, it's not quite cranked up to this thing. And then through the Fantastic Four, you can see he's doing 20 pages a, month, a week. Not a month. That's a piece of case. <laughs> no, he was, he he was, was turning out over a hundred pages of work a month because he was drawing like wow. covers on everything. Uh, he was drawing layouts for people, layouts for other people, and drawing, and drawing three or four books. books. So there's a simplification that goes on through that period, and and art historians will argue that he was looking at pop art and pop art was influencing him. And there's part of me that says. There's some level where Jack was a visual sponge and would soak up anything. I mean, the guy was doing collage in the 60s in comic books when nobody else in comics was doing collage. They didn't have Photoshop back then. He just was making collages. Um, but, but Jack was simplifying his work down and making it more and more powerful and about telling the stories. So there's this process where those drawings become simpler and iconic but it's always combined with that ability to look at the real world and take from the real world and pull it in it's funny if you look at days of the mob which you'll kind of go there's everything from these wild expressionist shots of you know guys being carried around dead and the mobsters in there and there's sort of funny approach to the mobsters and then you'll get to the goyles and the goyles will be done with I could swear there's some photo reference in there for some of the Probably drawings. For costumes and, and stuff. For costumes, like that. but some of the girls in there, you look at the drawing, you go, that's just a beautiful 
drawing of a person in a way that you don't expect and see in his superhero work. You see that in his romance comics, too. So you see poses. Uh, and, and, and I say, I know he was looking at something. He never drew anybody doing that just in another comic. So, yeah. But, but there are examples, uh, for example, in Boy's Ranch, where they'd have some of the giant vistas of the West, and uh, that people have found the paintings that Jack was looking at. Yeah. To, to create, because this is a guy who never left New York. He doesn't know, for the Wild West, he knows from looking at Mark <laughs> Rogers movies, right? Yeah. So, but he did look at Western art, and and he did look at, he, he did have a morgue, which is the artist file of, of, of people, places, and things that most artists have. For reference, it's it's, now Google, it's, it's Google Google before <laughs> right. Google existed. Exactly, ah. but we all used to like rip up magazines and stick them in files of cars, clothes, you know, just so it you know uh, you had to. You There's had no other way of doing it. You had yeah. to do it. Um, but kids but, these days, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really, the hell with them. Uh, no, I'm just, but but Jack did use Jack did use reference sometimes, mm. and, and it always knocks me out when somebody comes up with with uh, a one to one example uh, because he doesn't he you know he doesn't copy anything straight he 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 pluses it he makes it his his own which is what you know a good artist well, does. If you look at um, there was the movie Argos. Oh yeah, that was about there was a oh right that was is. about hostages in Iran and yep. and Jack at some point somebody had hired Jack to do drawings of right. um, based on the the Samuel Zolazny story Lords of, of Light. Light yeah and they're they're based on Indian art Jack clearly looked at Indian art for about half an hour an hour and then <laughs> took the two the two kind of went wham in his head and he took like. They took Anger Watt and Jack Kirby and made this huge yes. constructions. And they're absolutely, and you can see, you know, he, was he saw, he looked at some stuff. You wouldn't have gotten the way those necklaces are drawn without yeah. looking at stuff. But on the other hand, the necklaces were never drawn like that. Right, right, and, right. And it's, this, and it's that ability, I think, that just keeps Jack's work alive in a way. I mean. And that's I, very late work. I mean, it's like late seventies. So work, yeah. yeah. So that was like they were drawings for like an amusement park. That's that some that's lunatic had one. had wanted to build based on the Zlazny yeah. book. Yeah, you can it's find crazy. them in heavy heavy metal. Just printed them in with uh, color and stuff. So I mean, if you Google heavy metal Zlazny, yeah, you can find the them light, online. You can find them online. Great. Yeah, I'd love now to to talk a bit about Jack Kirby, the person. It's really pretty special to have you here, Bruce, because you knew him personally. So uh, what are your thoughts about him and his personal life? Uh, you know, is, and, I, and I, it's really odd. Jack has been gone over 20 years. Uh, he died in, uh, in early 1994. And what's really amazing is that for people like us, and, but people who are in comics, Jack is a, is a presence that that is a living presence to us. I mean, I don't think there's a day that goes by that I don't think about Jack or, or something, you know, about him or his drawing comes into my mind. I can't think of anybody else in my life. I mean, that's so that sounds crazy, but it's true. And I know so many people who are the same way. He was, he was, people say he was a, 
he was a visionary, but he was also just like this little old Jewish guy. You know, I mean, he just, you know, uh, his father worked in a in a clothing, what they used to call in, in Yiddish, the shmata factories, where they put together clothing, and he would sew pieces of clothing together for piecework. Jack was in the comic industry that also, for most of his career, existed on piecework. You got X amount of dollars for writing a page, you got X amount of dollars for penciling a page, for inking, for lettering, each is all broken down into piecework. Uh, number one thing as a guy from the depression was you know to support your family keep working you know work as hard as you can and he had the most incredible work ethic he would people say oh Jack Curry is amazing he could draw three or four pages a day because he sat in his chair for like up to 16 hours a day doing it uh, which you know that's that's amazing yeah. uh, and do it consistently uh, he was also very he was a very generous guy he was uh, he would look at everybody's artwork he would talk to anybody he met everybody as an equal you know he was not a pretentious man at all uh, if you met him he would uh, invite you to his house to eat dinner with him, to look at his artwork, to swim in his pool. Uh, so many people wound up on his doorstep. Is this Jack Kirby's house? <laughs> yeah, come on in. You know, blah, blah, blah. Uh -huh. and and people, <laughs> you know, people took advantage of that. You know, they had the biggest array of nuts going through there, and they had and they were, you know, ripped off and taken advantage of, and this and that because they were too nice. But uh, he was he, he and his wife Roz were. Uh, one of the most loving, supportive couples I've ever seen, and they exuded that to uh, to just about everybody they met. Mm. And uh, Jack is a person who who uh, was always. It's amazing, and you know he he never liked to talk about him. He always would like to talk about you and what you were doing. And when people would show him artwork, he'd say, "I want to know what you're doing. What are you bringing to this?" Yeah. Uh, when people would bring him a drawing that looked like a Jack Kirby drawing, he says, no, you do it your way. You know, mm -hmm. go ahead and draw the Fantastic Four, but do it the way you want to, not the way I want to. Which is, it's really hard to say how radical that is in comics that you can say to somebody, go do it your own way and not do it to fit in. Oh my the gosh, house that style. is like. I mean, there's something about that that is just the level of openness to the world that's bigger than anything anybody's got. It's that, For the comic book business, that's probably the most radical thing you can say. Mm -hmm. Do it your way. Because it's... It, it's... it's uh, uh, it, comics have always been the collaborative effort in the comic book business. And, uh, you know, very there are very few auteurs, you know, the writer, artist, you know, you can name them on, on two hands, maybe. Uh, you know, most of it is like a writer, artist, penciler, you know, letterer, colorist, editor, well, copy guy. Just, I mean, I think, I mean, and I think that's what makes him so different than everybody else is, I mean, that's what opens him up to all the creativity that could give us all these characters. But he, but he did a lot of collaborative work. Well, he, everything he did was collaborative. I mean, well, no, not but everything, I mean, but I mean, No, he but was there never... are many years where he did like genre stories for like other publishers where they give sure. him a script, you know, you had to do it, you know, it's just like, he did it. But he was, 
I think he was just open in a way that most comic book people are not. No, no. And, and, and yeah, I mean, he was also very, he was very well read. Uh, he thought, you know, I remember going to his house uh, with my friend Steve Sherman and Mark Evanair, who worked for him, and we were cleaning out. Uh, Jack didn't really need assistance, so we would have him do this, that, and the other. And, and one day we were cleaning out his art closet, and Jack Kirby's art closet was full of ideas that he had that he just like threw off ideas, like you know, you throw off sweat on a hot day. Wow. And and we found scripts, scripts for movies uh, when TV came in in the fifties, and they had live our drama shows. He said, I want to do that. He had all of these scripts for, for for dramatic plays and hours that they never sold, but he, you know, he, but you say, my God, this guy, you know, uh, he could do everything. He yeah. could have made the greatest movies of all time. He could have done, you know, mm. well, <laughs> I mean, he, if he had become a director, I think he would have been amazing. Yeah. It's hard I, to say. It's I hard to so. say. I, I just I just believe Jack was a master of comics as comics and not well, that's my one thing is like putting those two pictures together. Yes. Or putting oh, the I six agree. or four. He was such that was his control that was then well, that's a different thing we'll than never making know. it. Thumb. We'll yes, never that's know. True. We'll we'll never we know. Um but he he did have more to ex to express than just comics yeah. because he did you know he wrote a, a you know treatments for novels you know he yeah. wrote treatments for screenplays you know he did all all of this stuff when also when he was like plowing out dozens of pages a week it's insane <laughs> I, I think the other thing to say about Jack I've been doing this since for about doing these shows where we're talking about Jack Kirby and we're talking about the museum yeah. since about 97, 98, you know, somewhere in there. And over that time, 20 years. So people come up. People have met Jack. I have not had one person come up and have like, I went up to Jack at a show and was he was an asshole to me. <laughs> there, there's not, there's just, there has not been that. Yeah. There, and I can say, like probably in like most businesses and most humans, I've never had that experience with anyone else in comics. You know, I mean, there's everybody else has got their egos and they've got their stuff. I mean, I never, I met Jack once at his like 75th birthday and got to shake his hands and say thank you and sort of go, I'm shaking Jack Kirby's <laughs> hand. This is amazing. That's great. Um, but other than that, you know, I well at that show. We're sitting in Artist Alley. There's a row of artists. There are all the young hotshots there. We're all sitting there drawing. Jack Kirby comes in with Roz. Steve Rude comes says, Jack, Jack, come over and sit with me. Sit with me, please, Jack, please, come over. Jack looks at us and says, oh, no, I can't sit with you real artists. <laughs> And you know, and then you just everybody is just kind of quiet and shuts up at that point and goes, Jack Kirby just called us real artists. <laughs> well, Jack he, Kirby's Jack Kirby, and I know he's just joking and he's being nice and, but oh my God, <laughs> yeah. you know, like and you know, you could he just gave everybody respect. Mm. Uh, and he and met people on their like level. That no, he, he nobody respected, else. He respected everybody. Because he knows he knows what a hard job it is to be in the comic racket. 
it's you know it doesn't pay you gotta love to do it and uh, yeah gotta bring something yeah. to yourself I mean the closest I can think of it is like maybe um, Louise Jones slash Simonson might be the only other person I've never heard anybody say negative oh, things, nice about, things about it yeah. you know that may be it <laughs> I can't think of anyone else well cartoonists I find for the most part have egos no I <laughs> think I well see I I, I have I don't have the exposure that you've had over the years to the to the uh, to the uh, mainstream comic book artists. I mean, I know I've known a lot of them, and they do have egos. I'm mostly, uh, you know, I know all the underground cartoonists. I met quite a few newspaper cartoonists, animators, and this and that. I find them almost unfailingly really nice people. I mean, I could name the really awful people on one hand. And it'd be a gnarled, grisly hand, but most people, <laughs> most people are nice. Most people are nice. Right. It's hard to be a total jerk and be a cartoonist, I think. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. <laughs> we may, I will I shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, we I, can I, do another hour on jerks I have never <laughs> Yeah, well, I think we can agree that we could go on and on about Jack Kirby. Uh, but yeah, we are getting close to wrap-up time. Uh, before we finish up, um, how about we give out the uh, the web address to the museum once again? That's www.kirbymuseum.org. And I think you mentioned a possible uh, convention appearance? Silicon Valley Con. I know we've, we put in, for we did a panel last year at Silicon okay. Valley. I'm hoping they'll yeah. have us back. They may we're, have us back. We're usually yeah. at APE, the Alternative Press Expo, and that's in September this year in San Jose. Okay. Uh, and, and there's a couple other things, but they're not firmed up yet. Yeah, I think, um, well, the Kirby Museum will be in San Diego, the big con. I think. Yes. Um, and WonderCon. Um, yes, they'll be at WonderCon too. Um, I think Andrew Ferrargo at the Cartoon Art Museum is planning a big Kirby museum. I saw some oh. little mention of it on Facebook. Okay. I haven't actually talked to him or heard about it, but it is the 100th year of Jack's birthday and Will Eisner's birthday, so you will be seeing more about right. it. Right. This weekend in San Diego, there's the San Diego Comic Fest, and they, I, I know Mark Evanier and Steve Sherman, a whole bunch of people are having a big Kirby panel discussion there. And that's this Friday through Sunday. Yeah. Okay. So he will be, I mean, we're, we're around. We basically are the, we're not official board members of the Kirby Museum. We're kind of the Kirby Museum West Coast hanger on. Ah. There you go. <laughs> okay. We just like go. to talk about Jack. It's paying back a little of the. We just love it. Yeah. You know, joy he has given us. We're paying a little back to the universe. Right. Of and we get paid by all the people who come up and, and tell us their stories about, about Jack, Jack and how much they love his work. So, like I said, he's, you know, I honest to God, I'm, you know, I'm an old guy now in my 60s. I can't think of anybody else who I think about every day. And it, it just sounds nuts, but it's true. I had one of my Kirby shirts on. We'll throw out some props to the young people, too. I was walking down the street in Oakland looking for something, and this guy stops me and goes, that's a Kirby shirt. That's totally cool. I've just started reading all these black and white Kirby books, and they're so exciting. And I was like, you're 20. <laughs> that's so cool. It's you just, you know, that it's still out there, and the stuff is still as vibrant as when he was doing it. Exactly. That's the amazing thing to me about Jack's work is 
I've been reading it. There's no other artist that I knew who he... I didn't know who he was at 10, but I have copies in the sketchbooks from when I was 10 of his work, and I have copies in my sketchbook from the last year of his work, and it's still vibrant to me in a way that, you know, I didn't know who Edgar Degas was when I was 10. I don't think it did God every Matisse. day. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, Matisse. Yeah, I really, I could have cared less about Matisse when I was ten. His work's still good now, but but Jack's managed to break, you know, cover that wide range in a way no one else has ever done it for me. It's true. Great. Well, I want to thank you two guys so much for coming in, and we can sign off. This is Farewell from Henry Liu, Bruce Simon, and Mark Badger. <laughs>